from India's largest newsroom. I'm Arun George and this is the Times of India podcast. बिल्किसबानों के एंग्रेप के सभी दोषियों को रिहा कर दिया गया है लगभग 18 साल बाद स्वतंत्रता दिवस के दिन रेप के 11 दोषी आजाद कर दिए गए शी हैज कम आउट एंड सेड दैट हर फेथ इन जस्टिस इज शेकन आई ट्रस्टेड द सिस्टम एवरी रेप एंड मर्डर कॉन्विक्ट नीड्स टू फेस जस्टिस एकदम से शॉट लगा हम घर में बिल्किस से बात किया तो बिल्किस एकदम रोने लगी The release of 11 convicts in the Bilkis Bano case has understandably sparked widespread outrage. There were many horrors documented during the 2002 communal riots in Gujarat, but Bilkis Bano's stuck out. In today's episode, we're taking a look back at the case and analyze the justification that the 11 convicts had reformed enough to merit being released. Just a warning, today's episode deals with sexual assault and violence. First a recap of what happened in 2002 The riots in Gujarat were sparked by the burning of a train coach at Godhra on the 27th of February in 2002 The fire killed 59 people including women and children Many of those killed in the fire were returning from a trip to Ayodhya where they had gone to press for the building of the Ram temple The communal riots in Gujarat after the attack at Godhra resulted in the deaths of over 1000 people most of whom were muslim thousands of muslims were also displaced in gujarat due to the widespread violence bilkis banu's case was among the cases taken up by the supreme court and transferred out of the state to neighboring maharashtra my colleague sunil baghel who covered the case verdict in 2008 in mumbai explains what took place in march 2002 it's a case which uh, went on for a few years which has seen every possible twist and turn that uh, possibly a criminal case could have seen there have been convictions not only of the people who were accused of perpetrating the crime itself but even the police officers and doctors involved in the initial stage were convicted the victim and complainant bilkis bano who was roughly about 2021 years of age at the time of incident according to her uh, after the riots uh, started happening in various districts even in her area which is randhikpur village she was told by some relatives that people are targeting specific uh, outlets or residences of a specific community and therefore it is not safe to remain there about 14 15 members of of her family they they left the place they went to a nearby village on 3rd march in the morning time two or two vehicles approached them which which had about 25 to 30 people in it uh, all armed with swords sickle and sticks they attacked this group of 17 people they uh, they raped women uh, who were part of this group they killed women men and children and they fled according to bilkis the complainant she her 3 and a half year old daughter was snatched from her arms and was smashed to the ground causing her death 
after which she was attacked by a sword but she managed to save herself she was taken slightly off the main commotion area and was gangrened by three accused in specific fourth accused was named specifically the as somebody who had snatched her three and a half year old child and smashed to the ground and killed bilkis was about 5 months pregnant at that time she according to her statements she pleaded with these people that she was pregnant yet her pleas fell on deaf ears she fell unconscious because of whatever happened so a few hours later when she gained consciousness she found that there were all bodies around her and she managed to uh, somehow find a petticoat uh, walk in semi nude position to a nearby hilltop she found somebody later over there a woman who helped her with a couple of clothings she was taken to the police station on 4th of march where she lodged the complaint but that was just the start of bilkis banu's ordeal with the criminal justice system in gujarat sunil says that while recording her complaint the police didn't record the names of the accused that bilkis had listed according to bilkis she had named all the 13 accused who were a part of that entire gathering of 25 30 people and who had actively played a role in everything that had happened but later it turned out that the police did not record any of the names the police at limkheda police station did not record the incident the way bilkis had narrated because according to bilkis she was an illiterate person she could not read or write and her statement was not read over to her after it was recorded sunil says that in november 2002 the gujarat police actually closed the rape case saying they couldn't find any of the accused he explains how that was among the reasons that led the supreme court to transfer the case from the local police to the central bureau of investigation the apex court also moved the trial from gujarat to mumbai sunil explains what the cbi investigation showed and how the courts noted that the gujarat police probe wasn't shoddy by accident on the other hand they said it showed signs of active manipulation to favor the accused in november 2002 uh, a closure report was filed by the police before the local court which basically was categorizing the case as true but undetected the police did not find any accused could not arrest anybody and they could only find bodies and click pictures of bodies and had conducted a shoddy kind of a postmortem by two uh, doctors the bombay high court judgment has noted down uh, about 17 uh, circumstances against the local police's investigation the fir was registered but uh, the police despite the fact that there was a complaint of rape the victim was never sent for medical examination immediately after the fir was registered the victim was sent for medical examination only a day later another important factor the 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 complaint was of rape as well as murder the police never took the victim to the spot to identify where exactly was did the incident take place they went with photographers on their own they clicked pictures of whatever bodies they found when the bodies were exhumed by the central bureau of investigation after it took over the case in early 2004 
they could exhume they could find only seven bodies all the bodies were buried in a single pit one above the other piled up none of the bodies had the skull intact when the pictures were clipped are well after the incident on 4th of march the bodies were intact the body of the 3 and 1/2 year old child girl child of bilkis who was snatched from her hand and killed there is a photograph of that body but the body was never found when the cbi got the bodies exhumed so where did the body disappear after the pictures were clipped it was found that the bodies were buried with sacks full of salt so that the bodies degenerate degrade much sooner as compared to what would otherwise naturally happen all these circumstances were taken taken in uh, into consideration while transferring the case investigation from the local police to the central bureau of investigation and eventually to were transferring the case from gujarat to maharashtra because it was clearly exhibited that the trial may not be conducted in a free and fair manner and therefore the supreme court found it necessary first in december 2003 to transfer the case investigation to cbi and then in 2004 to transfer the trial itself out of gujarat which is a very rare thing to happen in 2008 11 accused were convicted for killing bilkis banu's family members and sexually assaulting her they were sentenced to life imprisonment five police officials and two doctors involved in the botched investigations were also convicted later but they received much lesser sentences one question that comes up is why weren't the 11 accused sentenced to death given the horror of the crime sunil explains that the death penalty was sought but courts choose to give it only to convicts in cases that they deem to be the rarest of rare well uh, you know even in this case uh, when the appeal was filed the uh, there was an appeal from the central bureau of investigation as well seeking enhancement of the sentence of these 11 convicts itself who were granted life to life imprisonment by the trial court the cbi sought a death sentence for all these accused even in this particular case in appeal in the before the bombay high court but the bombay high court refused to grant that sentence Be- applying the the principle laid down by a few judgments from the supreme court where by declaring this case as not being one of the rarest of rare cases the principle of rarest of rare cases uh, had come into existence in the early 1980s in the judgment passed by the supreme court where it had upheld the val- validity of death sentence since then it has been applied to every such case where uh, the prosecution seeks death sentence but it is dependent on two circumstances one is the the case itself the facts of the case itself but the second one which is the discretion there can't be any guidelines in or there can't be anything in black and white on how to apply discretion in majority of the cases while trial courts award death sentences it the proportion goes down when the when the case reaches the high court and then when it further reaches the supreme court so the discretion is uh, is very vague so to speak is not uniform and therefore in this particular case while it was 
held that it is not a rarest of rare case. We see that you know maybe in cases which are not very different in terms of facts and circumstances, one bench awards death sentences while death sentence while the other bench decides to not award death sentences. The decision to release the 11 convicts was finally thanks to a unanimous verdict by a nine-member jail advisory committee in Gujarat. The committee's verdict came after it was verified that there were no complaints over the conduct of the convicts while in jail. There are now questions being raised about the fact that multiple people in this committee were linked with the BJP, which is the ruling party in the state and was in power in 2002 as well. Two of the committee members are also BJP MLAs in Gujarat. However, all of these members have justified their decision saying the convicts had served adequate time in prison and exhibited good behaviour while in jail. जो कुछ भी था उस उन लोगों ने 18 साल का तो जेल को भुगत लिया ने और वो जेल के रूल्स के वजह से ये सब कमिटी ने निर्णय लिया सर्वनुमति इसमें कोई कोई बात नहीं है सुनील सेस दैट व्हाइल द डिसीजन टू रिलीज दिस कॉन्विक्स वाज डन एट द कमिटीज डिस्क्रिशन इट फ्लाइज कंप्लीटली इन द फेस ऑफ हाउ लॉज एंड पनिशमेंट फॉर सेक्सुअल असॉल्ट हैव चेंज्ड ओवर द डेकेड्स एट लीस्ट वन फैक्ट इज वेरी क्लियर that this is a very rare instance where somebody who has been convicted of gang rape and murder has been granted release. Because if we see how the law itself has progressed, there was uh, the outrage after these people were released is making a direct comparison with the Nirbhaya gang rape case, which happened in Delhi in December 2012, after which rape laws were amended. One of the amendments in those laws is that punishment for gang rape has been made stricter as compared to a non-gang rape case. Punishment for repeat conviction of rape has been provided as death penalty. So the progression of law in that sense is making it uh, making the provisions stricter. Sunil says that like the awarding of the death penalty, getting an early release from a jail sentence isn't as straightforward as it's made to sound. Many others who may be well-behaved in jail and sentenced to lesser prison terms aren't as lucky as the 11 convicts in this case. When it comes to releasing people on remission, uh, there cannot be a major discretion for the committee or for the body which decides release of uh, these of any convict in general the the biggest subjective element according to me is means if you are a person of means which means the convict who's seeking relief the person who's seeking relief you understand the law you understand the system you are influential by either because of money or because of contacts when all these elements uh, come into place, either of if one of them, then it's then it seems that you get you are able to get through to the system, whether officially, unofficially, or whichever way, in a much easier manner. But if you are not a person of means, if you are illiterate, if you are poor, then it usually is seen that you are not able to get relief. So according to me, means is plays a very important role.
because we keep coming across stories every every few days every few weeks that somebody had to spend extra number of days inside behind the bars despite an order in his or her favor the release of the 11 convicts was uh, firstly very disturbing the central government's approach in this regard is that you do not release convicts uh, in such cases the state government's latest policy that is of 2014 says that you do not release convicts in such cases the public opinion uh, at least in in of, of people who have been writing in the media and uh, expressing their views has been against uh, release of these uh, 11 convicts so for once you had some uniformity in the approach but suddenly you see uh, reliance being placed on a 30 year old policy uh, the the opaque processes that have been used uh, some questionable panel that was put together the prison advisory board that was created and 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 suddenly the government decides to go ahead with the recommendation of the panel and it's not like this is the first time that a government uh, you know has to entertain a remission application and the government does this in spite of the fact that it, it realizes the nature of the offense and what impact it may have on the victim who's who's still around who's there that's navid ahmed who's a senior resident fellow at the think tank vidhi center for legal policy we spoke with him to examine the argument that these 11 convicts have reformed during their prison terms and therefore deserve to be released We also looked at why India needs a criminal reform system that's way more consistent than the one we have. Navid says there are multiple issues with how we decide whether to release convicts. In the case of these 11 convicts, he flags the fact that there's very little transparency on how this decision was taken. We started by asking him whether an appeal can be filed to reverse the decision to release these 11 convicts. with this verdict itself given they the 11 convicts are already out of jail is there a scope for bilkis banu to appeal against this verdict is there any appeal really possible i'm not very sure uh, if the victim has can can do much about this the case was decided by the sessions court in 2008 i presume uh, upheld by the high court in bombay but uh, there is one thing that seems to be missing here which is the question of procedural uh, propriety and that is something that the supreme court decided a few months back i presume one of the convicts basically had approached the gujarat high court regarding this remission application the gujarat high court had pointed out that gujarat may not be uh, the the appropriate government to approach with regard to this remission application because the case was decided in in maharashtra but the supreme court seems to have interpreted this provision uh, in a different manner and said that the appropriate government in this case would be the government of the state in which the offense was committed and not uh, uh, the the government of maharashtra which i think needs to be relooked into because uh, the provision itself states that the gov- appropriate government would be the government where uh, the sentence was passed which therefore is uh, maharashtra but uh, can can uh, bilkis banu approach and file an appeal i i doubt there's been a lot of outrage after this decision is there any scope for anyone really to take it up and say that look we don't think this judgment this decision was a valid one as i said 
there are questions on the procedure that was followed, which of course can be brought before the High Court or even the Supreme Court. So maybe if, if this case can be taken up before the High Court of Gujarat or uh, the Supreme Court, things like this, what, what the appropriate government was and if uh, due process was followed in doing this, that could be followed. But I think the broader problem is that this whole process is marred by ambiguity in terms of there's no clear guidelines as to how you're supposed to go ahead with this. There'll be a vague provision which says about which will talk about rehabilitation and reform, but how do you how do you ascertain that? So there is a lot of other stuff that probably needs to be relooked into. What are among the issues that we have when it comes to the release of convicts? The thing is that it could have been better handled if it was more transparent. The Gujarat government has to approach the central government and has to consult them with regard to release of these convicts because uh, the investigating authority in this case was the CBI. The provision itself provides that whenever there is such a situation where the CBI, the central government uh, investigative agencies have done it, then the investigation, the central government has to be consulted. We don't know if, if that consultation has happened. And if it has happened and the Gujarat government is, has went ahead and released the convicts, that raises some questions because the central government's policy is that convicts in such cases will not be released. The second is whether uh, the judge uh, was consulted. It's come out that the judge was uh, had provided uh, their recommendation, but that has not been uh, entertained and that's not been followed in this case. The provision does not mandate that you have to abide by what the, the, the court says. But if there is a if there is an indication that the presiding officer makes and you adopt a different path, then reasons have to be given. What were the compelling uh, grounds on which the advisory board thought that uh, maybe we don't have to go with the uh, the court's view on this and we need to release the convicts. We don't have any grounds as such available in public view, which will tell us whether these convicts had reformed. Are they ready for reintegration? I mean, these are very difficult questions, but uh, all the more important in such a case where of, of, of such brutal uh, uh, violence against women. If one were to look at the criminal reform system where we put a person in jail, uh, especially after conviction, what's the idea behind it? I mean, there is no uh, reform system. Uh, the conversation around reform has mostly centered around uh, prison reform. There's hardly any conversation around prisoner reform. In terms of the state, the, the only way the state can think of prisoner reform is uh, accessibility to education. Prisoners are allowed to um, complete their schooling through NIOS. They can pursue their uh, degrees through open universities. Then the second element is skill development. Uh, you, they, they are encouraged to develop some carpentry skills and furniture making and all of that. That happens in central prisons and bigger prisons. I don't know if that's the case in smaller sub jails, but that's about it. Is that sufficient to, to, to ensure reformation? And is that enough? Is there any follow-up that happens after the convict gets released? Uh, we don't know. So it's it's basically a retrofitted idea that, oh, maybe we need to do some reform also and therefore come up with uh, skill development and education and all of those things. But I don't see a, a standardized policy, a thought going behind uh, prisoner reform. Why we don't really care about that? So if jail is an answer, we should have a rationale behind it. Uh, 
Uh, jail is an answer because you want to remove these persons from the society. Tell this upfront. Is jail an answer because you want to reform this, the prisoner? Tell this upfront because then the process will follow. If the, the substantive law is so incognizant of it, how do we expect the processes to be clear and actually carry out reform? That, that doesn't happen. Is there anything on how many such prisoners actually get benefit of remission? We've seen talk often of sort of releasing more prisoners, using a remission policy more sensibly to kind of, uh, you know, sort of decongest our prisons. I don't think there is data that can tell us as to how many people have been released on remission. But uh, I don't know if that's a, an efficient way of decongesting prisons. There should, of course, be a better uh, charted out, uh, out way of towards remission and a proper process laid out. Uh, our prisons are overcrowded because we're putting too many people in jail as under trials. That is the fundamental reason why our prisons are overpopulated. And convicts only comprise about 30, 25, 30% of uh, the prison population in India. So is remission an answer to that? I, I doubt. Uh, but uh, definitely, it, it can be one way to do it. There have been instances where people have spent 30 years, 40 years in the jail and uh, their applications may perhaps not have been uh, considered by the government. And that is perhaps one more reason why people have been criticizing this move of the Gujarat government, because I'm sure there were other applicants uh, for remission and why these 11 were chosen. And with regard to sexual crimes themselves, we've jumped towards much harsher punishments in general. We seek harsher punishments, death sentences. Must there be scope for reform even in such cases? I think the, the, the primary opposition to harsher sentences or let's say death penalty is that it's final and there is it leaves no scope for reform. So if you have argued, if you argue on that pattern, then you have to presume that there is always some scope for reform. But the public opinion in cases such as these, in cases of violence against women, leaves very little scope for that nuance to come, that people can still be uh, reformed. When uh, we go back to the drawing board and try and understand if we can, we can draw that line between offenses, offenses where you see uh, reform operating in a specific manner and where you see reform operating in a different manner, and maybe sexual violence cases may be treated differently, or there could be one practice. Nobody can deny that there is always scope for reform, but you need to factor a lot of other things into it, like uh, in this case, how what how brutal the offense was and the presence of the victim, how, how the victim is going to feel uh, about the release of these 11. So things like that will have to be factored in. You, it can't be a straitjacket formula uh, about reform. You can't never really be sure about reform and reintegration. How do you quantify? How do you uh, ascertain that? That's also difficult. Does the victim have to be consulted or is it can, like, like has it happened in this case? Can it just go through sort of without the victim's consultation in any sense? In terms of consultation, there's consultation with the judge, there's consultation with the central government in this case. Uh, the, should the victim be consulted? Uh, yes. I think that should be uh, one of the grounds on which the advisory committee should look at it because the, the nature of this crime is not just 
it's not just any other case of violence. This has been recognized by the trial court. This was recognized by the uh, Bombay High Court. And when the, uh, the Supreme Court granted compensation to Bilkis Bano, I think a couple of years ago, uh, they also recognized the vulnerability of the victim in, in this case. And when you recognize and then you go ahead and, uh, and release the 11 convicts, I don't see how that's serving any purpose. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.